Welcome all, welcome all. I'm your host, Sully, and we got fun guest in the form of Gabriel Jouet. Welcome. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. Anytime. So we were just thinking, hey, let's do some highlights of some kind of movie or show, and then we were realizing, oh, shit, we're behind on our suggestions. So and finally, I was just like, eh, what's something we haven't done yet? It's like, we'll get to eventually, and just in time for Halloween. I was like, you know, we could just some of just the wackiest and brutal and just fun moments of the maniac cop trilogy franchise so i'm like yeah sure let's do that <laughs> it is definitely wacky yeah what was your introduction to it i would always see clips of it and i don't think they've aired on tv in forever if anywhere except maybe the movie channels and uh, mainly i've just you know everyone's been able to consume them because they've been everywhere youtube shutter to be, you know, <laughs> I first discovered it because of Bruce Campbell's book, you know, uh, If Chins Could Kill. <laughs> it's so funny how it had the opposite effect. He wasn't fond of the movie, and yet everyone's like, hey, any, it's the William Shatner effect. It's like any Bruce uh, Campbell movie is worth any fan's time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's definitely good in it. It's, I mean, it's, it's a different role for him, but he, uh, he does a great job playing a sleazy cop under review and he's like i've done bad things but it wasn't this <laughs> yeah and he's not nearly as charismatic as he usually is but he still does a, a decent performance it, it's so wild it's like he and the the cop partner uh played by lena levitt i think is her name and they're both pretty awesome but yeah um the the whole movie plays out like an atypical slasher and uh just having Again, you know, a team up that is in the form of Larry Cohen and William Lustig, you know, just dynamite and ending with a Terminator type, you know, police station massacre is also outrageous. And then part two is wild because it just seems like there's like alternate footage. And at the same time, there's stock footage from the previous thing, but you get even more gritty detail of the attack and it's just wild just seeing how you know this entire time we didn't know why the creature was you know the undead cop was unstoppable and then we find out in part three he's actually a voodoo you know resurrected creation it's like okay <laughs> i get it <laughs> yeah the uh the social commentary definitely got lost in the sequels because like the first movie making a movie about an undead cop in like 1980s sleazy new york was like perfect but then as the sequels went on it became more just like oh he's just basically a jason Voorhees type yeah it's like it was a basic template and yet they kind of just kept playing around with it just seeing how more gruesome it could get <laughs> all three movies are pretty fun though yeah um so who's your favorite character other than the title or villain <laughs> probably bruce campbell even though he does die at the beginning of part two but he definitely <laughs> and him and robert davi i think are definitely the standouts of the whole franchise i mean of course robert zadar as well but i did claudia christian this is before she's on babylon 5 as the police psychologist <laughs> that's a good choice it's a good choice <laughs> but yeah davi, davi owns and it's kind of fun seeing a few other actors in part three, Paul Gleason and Grandel Bush. So it's kind of a diehard reunion. <laughs> diehard. Also, uh, 
Ted Raimi as the reporter in Maniac Cop 3 is always, that's pretty cool. It's so wild because, yeah, Sam Raimi was the reporter in part two, but his scenes were cut. And then, yeah, Ted is in part three. So do you believe that this might be in the same universe as Evil Dead or even Darkman? I mean, that's an excellent idea. I would definitely get behind that. apparently there was like this game for like steam where people could play as their favorite horror characters and the maniac cop was one of the playable characters along with various other you know freddy jason types and i was like that's just amazing (laughs) well the uh that movie behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon basically did say they're all in the same universe so i guess it kind of works either way there you go (laughs) There you go. And plus the Freddy's Glove cameo in Evil Dead 2 and Ash vs. Evil Dead show. So there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And that was years before their comic book crossover. <laughs> um, So uh, just some other just kind of fun moments, like because like part two has a crazy, like just brutal uh, car chase <laughs> that ends chaotically and uh. I don't really care for like the car chase in like part three because at that point the rest of the movie is kind of dragging just trying to finish it out but um you know obviously like you said part one has like a factory showdown where they're having to outsmart the cop uh you know the villain um what were your particular favorite action and fight scenes I would uh I definitely put the uh the car chase in part two up there. I mean that was like classic action. I mean it's not even it's not even something you would expect from a slasher movie, but they do it so well, and that's probably because it's Larry Cohen, William Lustig, you know, they definitely know what they're doing. So. Men of various genres, and they're just like, yes. let's just put it in a blender and whether you accept or reject it, that's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Part one did have a pretty cool, like, just on foot, like, uh, just tracking shot of Bruce just being pursued by the unknown assailants. <laughs> First, he thinks it's dirty cops out here to kill him, and he's like, no, it's the maniac cops stalking you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Part one is, like, a competently made film. Like, it's a really good slasher. A lot of people kind of trash the series just because of part three, but, like, honestly, it's all three are well-made films, really. It's like, I don't know, before we had Halloween and Star Wars fans like eating each other alive, I was like, uh, so many people, you know, I was even in a horror podcast group where I I will confess, like, uh, there was like two people who like, there was one guy who liked Maniac Cop, but in a unintentionally funny way and then there was one who legit loved it and then there was another person who was like i've seen it i don't know why anyone would like it (laughs) so it's like it's kind of a but it's kind of redundant because it's like if there's anything i would hardly say that this is a franchise that didn't really know what it wanted to be it's just kind of like you say it just it didn't focus so much on transitioning and evening out its tone but at the same time, it was an excuse for a lot of mayhem and being a mixture of, you know, like Larry Cohen even worked with uh, Sidney LeMay years later on a 
psycho thriller and i thought that was interesting because like this feels like a serpico movie meets any other kind of post friday the 13th terminator slasher so it's just like it it was basically that's just it it's a mixture of you know vigilante thrillers and uh just you know stalker movies and it it's just it all encompassed just what a independent b movie of the 80s and early 90s typically was going to be so i yeah it, and, uh, new york couldn't have been a better setting really because like the sleaziness of early 80s new york is so perfectly captured in that movie not just like because it's a cop movie but also because just how new york was so much different than it is now and I don't think any filmmaker really captured that as well as Larry Cohen did it, besides maybe uh, Frank Hinnewater. Oh, totally. And much like Phantasm, it is pretty wild how, depending on your country, depends on where you first saw these. It was like they were big on the movie channels, HBO, like bought the rights to part two and then premiered part three on its network. But it was just so wild how uh, the original, like, got released like directed video like in germany and then other places got it theatrically and but either way it was always big in the video store scene so that's kind of where it kind of picked up traction <laughs> it's probably because of that poster man that poster just it doesn't tell a lot yeah, the right to remain silent is yeah. like and is like in this guy he's not we don't know if it's a crooked cop a vigilante cop it's like well he's a undead guy who basically hates anyone who wronged him hates just about any greaseball he's just going around it's so wild how in like the first two he's just killing other fellow cops and then in part three he's going out and just killing scumbags so it's like you don't really know the guy's modus operandi but at the same time they picked like you say a good actor to just kind of portray this guy and uh, I'm friends with Joe Estevez, who's friends with a lot of these other B-movie actors, and he starred with uh, Robert Zadar and a bunch of stuff. And he says, is like, the guy just unfortunately had just an unusual rare skin disease and was constantly being just teased at conventions by people because of his appearance. So it is kind of a shame that, you know, he not only made a career based on his intimidating appearance, but unfortunately, just other people were very cruel to him, almost like some of the villains in this movie so it's like uh, i still tip my hat to the guy for what is arguably his best known role outside of tango and cash <laughs> you know oh yeah like robert zadar was great uh he did i mean he did a lot of like cheesy b movies but he also did some really classic films like you said tango and cash and of course maniac cop oh totally and it, it's an interesting design the guy the whole you know villain arc with him is that you, you see him mistreated you know in flashback you know how he first got murdered in prison and then uh then even utilizing how it's just so wild how he he utilizes all kinds of weapons it's not just machine guns it's also he uses the samurai sword you know which makes it uh misleading for a lot of the cops are like who decapitates guys with a sword you know <laughs> it's a gang <Yes>. leader <laughs> uh, 
That's what's interesting about the Maniac Cop franchise is because, like, I mean, he is a silent killer like Jason and Michael Myers, but he also has a backstory, a personality. He's not just some he says kid so much drowned in a lake. He's actually a, yeah. <laughs> a person, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it was wild yeah i'm surprised there wasn't any like battle that would have just been really derivative by that point <laughs> yeah oh man um it, it's it seems like um it, it's wild how the character goes around kind of just like being very secretive even though he's on dead and like the only way to like kill him temporarily is through fire um <laughs> i do think part two has probably the best burning death uh but part one probably has a few better burning deaths yeah um, yeah i mean the burning death in part two is pretty incredible but <laughs> practical effects man sometimes they're out of this world <laughs> right i uh, i can't see anyone making this today i know they were teasing hey let's do an hbo show and i was just like eh, let's not let's let's just keep it how it is yeah it's the cool. uh the filmmaker nicholas winning ref and he directed like the neon demon and stuff he wanted to make a remake but he i feel did. like he's on the commentary for the blue underground blu-ray part two <laughs> so that's i feel like I if they made the remake now it would just be completely social commentary like the horror and the slasher elements would be completely lost because obviously cops are a lot more in the conversation than they used to be so i feel like a movie like maniac cop just wouldn't work today because people would be too against the concept i think personally but well more or less i just think we're going to be too distracted by the fact that it's a remake i think i don't think it would work as well as say maybe the new Candyman, where at least they're trying to do just a new you know reboot of the original and uh, while still updating the same, you know, timeless themes of forbidden, you know, biracial romance and gothic terror. And with Candyman, uh, you know, Candyman was just always going to be an open uh, route for that, much like Hellraiser, you know, both coming from Clyde Barker short stories. Um, but yeah, with Maniac Cop, you know, it's already, you know, depending on the audience, there's people who like it, you know, again, for trashy reasons. And then there's people who like it, you know, for legit good B movie reasons. And uh, it just, like you say, I think even if you didn't have to deal with, you know, neo-Nazi internet trolls or uh, today's social commentary versus 80s social commentary, it would still be kind of, I can't, I think what turned me off was I just saw that John Hyams was interested in taking that on. And I was like, okay, well, he's good for making a lot of those lowbrow, brutal action movies that are well shot. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I think his issue, my issue is he kind of comes with friend from franchises that were known for having continuity issues. Like he worked on, you know, the Universal Soldier movies, and those can be fun, but. I think the, I put those on a pedestal way lower than, you know, Maniac Cop because, you know, Unisol just had so many different cooks in the kitchen. And this had a pretty consistent set of cooks, you know, <laughs> who yeah, just kind of like, did it to death eventually, no pun intended, you know. <laughs> plus, like, I don't think anybody besides William Lustig could really make 
a good maniac cop movie personally because he's just really good at that specific style of 80s filmmaking of like the sleazy new york oh yeah (laughs) i feel like maniac cop now just wouldn't work because new york just isn't the same as it used to be and it wouldn't really it wouldn't really work as well in my opinion what's kind of wild is his partner in crime for a production studio was james glickenhaus who had worked on you know the exterminator mcbain and all those other uh you know just over the top uh, vigilante movies and apparently you know glickenhaus you know he's independent and would shoot at atypical places but you know he had a set of rules of you know being safely and apparently that's the wild thing with lustig is he was very he was beyond guerrilla filmmaking he was pretty much just film as long as you want anytime anywhere and it's like whoa whoa careful dude some someone might get hurt <laughs> and it's so wild how no one got hurt on the making of uh his 1980 movie maniac or even vigilante because there's some very ballsy stunts in those movies where i'm like i don't know how anyone didn't fall off the building <laughs> oh yeah and i uh didn't they get in the legal trouble when they were doing the tom savini shotgun shoot and a maniac i think so i i would have to look it up again though but like that's a, i think that was what caused glick and haas he had heard about that and he's like okay uh i'll help you from afar but you know i i can't work on your movie because i'm gonna probably get in some legal issues <laughs> oh yeah uh lustig was one of a kind man even uncle sam i think is a quality film <laughs> you know i have only seen like clips of that I, I need to see it again like all the way through and do you feel like it's like technically like the fourth maniac cop in a way yeah sort of i mean it's just obviously it's more critical of like the war at the time and more critical the military than the police force but it's still very similar in tone and style and obviously social commentaries related in a way right (laughs) it's even wilder how again we we are so used to just seeing just all other sorts of wacky stuff nowadays like abraham lincoln vampire hunter and this one was kind of just it was like let's take this to a new level let's show someone who died from friendly fire (laughs) undead soldier (laughs) Oh man, and it's uh it's funny because like Maniac Cop started its own series of mockbusters because there's like Psycho Cop, Psycho. I was just thinking of that. So who who do you think would win in a fight, the Psycho Cop or Maniac Cop? (laughs) Probably Maniac Cop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, Maniac Cop is the better one, but yeah, because Psycho Cop, you know, I've tried watching the original and it's kind of. It's mystery science theater level where you're just like, ooh, amateur hour. And then you go to oh, part yeah. two and uh what's his name? Who's the filmmaker? Uh Adam Rifkin. Yeah, great guy. And who's done so many good things, including Burt Reynolds' final movie, which is very meta. And this one, part two is Psycho Cop. This is wild because basically they just filmed it all at Charlie Sheen's mansion and just said, Hey, let's make a deliberately silly movie that he almost kind of pulled a Jim Wynorski where he's like, let's add some mocking dialogue that's kind of breaking the fourth wall and let's show all the trashiness that everyone came here to see. And then let's even do something even more outrageous. Let's get even twisted and have some decent actors. So it's not just, you know, 
like today's mockbusters, which are trying to be like Sharknado. <laughs> yeah, Psycho Cop Returns is like the rare sequel that completely outdoes the original in every way. Like Adam Rifkin was going by Riff Coogan, his like B movie sort of character that he did. And then he ends up making this ridiculous sequel to this movie that nobody saw. And then he makes <laughs> an even better movie. And it it's great. Oh, yeah. Uh, his, the dude is just fascinating in every podcast interview I ever heard him in. It's like, wow. And he doesn't just know his shit. He's just like so sincere. <laughs> oh, yeah. I followed his career from the beginning. Oh, really? Uh, what, what was your first movie? <laughs> Uh, probably Detroit City, but then I watched like I even watched his first movie, uh, Never on Tuesday. It's like this really obscure, low budget, uh, like Claudia Christian drama. connection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> recasts yeah. all his friends and just about everyone who he's been around. He he literally has known them for years, and each time everyone's asked, "What would you do with all these movies?" He's like, "I'd make free movies with them." <laughs> <laughs> uh, the dude wants nothing more than to just entertain. It's so funny how there was a character coincidentally named Adam Rifkin on the show Action, which made fun of the movie industry. And he called in saying, hey, was that a deliberate uh, uh, homage to me? And they're like, uh, maybe. Would you like <laughs> to direct an episode? And so then he got to direct like three episodes before it got canceled. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, he's great, man. I I even love like the chase and the dark backward, which is like one of my favorite movies ever. Isn't that, that wild? How that movie is being rediscovered time and oh, again. Yeah. But, and that's also you want to talk social commentary. That's so total social commentary. And uh, that's more and more movies are doing it now. Like you say, is like so many others were like afraid to kind of talk about the literal despairing world of hollywood entertainment and just other just uh you know utilizing you know experiments and mirroring it with uh you know monster real life monsters <laughs> yeah man uh that movie is a true cult classic not only is it like just funny and weird and entertaining but like it's also disturbing in the most unexpected way possible. Like that, even when they don't show you anything, you're like, "Ooh, you." Yeah, yeah. Especially with Bill Paxton's whole character, it's just uncomfortable, but in a good way. That movie yeah. is something else. And it's fortunately streaming a lot of places. So, <laughs> uh, what's funny is I I used to get it mixed up with like a few other movies that were kind of like They Live or what have you. It's like no, it's totally different movie. <laughs> uh similar totally different <laughs> yeah it's it's strange like the late 80s early 90s had like a whole subgenre of movies like that because you had like meet the hollowheads uh meet the apple gates like that, some movies yes that, that one had a similar poster <laughs> yeah like movies that kind of skewed the american family like the typical like what you would see in sitcoms and did it in like really disturbing creative ways and I kind of got lost once we reached the 2000s, I think. I'd say it's mainly probably because, uh, you know, budgets were changing and a lot of those guys who had been doing part of the drive-in scene uh, just decided to start uh, doing TV work. And like you say, 
uh, movies had to start following a similar format. Like every action sci-fi movie basically had to look and sound like the Matrix. You know, all metal music oh, had yeah. to sound like you know new metal as opposed to old school. You know, Motorhead and ACDC. <laughs> And, yeah, yeah. Movies yeah, always do kind of seem to follow the same trend. It, and it's so weird. It's like they were willing to go to an infamous nature kind of like um Friday the 13th, you know, and scream knockoffs, but yet then they kind of just decided, hey, you know, let's just be gruesome without any character development. So it's like I can't blame anyone for being mixed on, you know, Saw or Final Destination. And it's like uh even just each installment almost you know of any franchise nowadays kind of follows a hellraiser routine where it's like it's related in name only to even compare and contrast them you literally have to go through them all and look at the backstory and just take it with a grain of salt because like you say is like uh social commentary is kind of gone in a lot of these movies they're just meant to be 2 a.m sunday movies now which is a shame because who doesn't like going to a movie on a, on a friday you know What's uh what's funny about the Hellraiser franchise is that most of the movies weren't even originally supposed to be Hellraiser. They would just add Pinhead and the Cenobites in. So that's right. why those movies are so terrible, most of them, is because they weren't even supposed to be Pinhead movies. All right. Who would have guessed that the guy who's on the poster is barely even in the first movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he's lead Cenobite. Okay, he's in charge. But what's his name? Pinhead. Always about him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Clyde Barker should be. Besides Candyman, I feel like Clyde Barker definitely should be the only one who makes his own work into movies. I feel like Candyman was kind of a lucky fluke where it wasn't Clive, but it was just as good as what he could have done. Oh, I, I totally agree because um, it seemed like he just had a you know just vivid world of the afterlife and even purgatory and as going beyond just spirituality because you know yeah nowadays when you see so many other movies they're kind of trying to be like the exorcist or the omen and you know hellraiser opened up the gate into movies can just be about possession and various other undead beings and unfortunately, like you say, it's just, yeah, he, he was barely involved with Candyman and he just fortunately had just a lot of artistic talents involved, the first two at least. And it just seemed like uh, there's so many other franchises which are definitely deserving of way better people to lead them. It's just like getting a better showrunner on a TV show. They just need a better creative influence because they really don't need to be made for more than like ten thousand dollars you can still make a good movie for that amount of money when everything's digital <laughs> oh yeah absolutely uh but uh yeah so this has been fun just kind of talking about this franchise and how it's ever-changing um if you were to introduce people to it uh uh, what would you recommend? Uh, uh, like uh, the first one or second one mainly? Probably the first one. I mean, I do like the second one, especially like the Charlie Manson-esque sidekick that the Maniac Cop has. I feel like that's a a wild but welcome addition to 
the second film, but at the same time, the first film is definitely, in my opinion, the superior one. Okay, very nice. For sure, for sure. But they're both good, but really. Uh, 100%. <laughs> uh, it'd be funny to even just see someone prank Bruce Campbell at a convention, just like just a clip of him in that movie just starts playing and just see if he would roll his eyes <laughs> apparently like when people mention maniac cop 2 he starts like roasting people because as like in a joking way because apparently he's not a big fan of that movie he so. just does not like it you can't get him to like it <laughs> yeah and this is one of those is like you're just too close to it dude it's pretty fun movie but i mean it's the same thing with ash it's like hey we made you know a movie that some people rejected some people love to hate some people legit love and people want to see more of it <laughs> we just kept doing more and more of them <laughs> it's funny like people love that movie and then for him it was just a paycheck so it's kind of funny yeah and it's even funnier how it's like after O three, he's like okay no one can trick me into doing any kind of movie anymore i will read the script i will look you up i'm not gonna do you know that kind of crap so it's like at this point he pretty much only trusts sam raimi <laughs> it's true man it's true i mean sam raimi would be the go-to filmmaker personally but yeah uh, especially we we had a fun episode about him and what's funny is i had people who had all different sorts of like interests and, and so at first i thought it was going to be a clusterfuck i thought oh dear i'm gonna have guys arguing this isn't going to be a good episode and unexpectedly <laughs> everyone really got along he's like yeah he reinvented horror comedies he reinvented superhero movies he reinvented even just fantasy dramas <laughs> yeah sam raimi brings people together he's one of those filmmakers that like i mean He's made movies that weren't as good as others, but he's never really made a movie that didn't at least entertain you, even a tiny bit. Yeah, or at least to where he's like, I can understand the audience for it. And at the same time, I mean, he's done so much, like he could do like the worst possible movie ever. And I'd be like, hey, he's he's just earned too much credit. He's done too many compelling stories and changed the industry so much and created all these careers. I can't hate him. It's not like he's, you know, Harvey Weinstein here. It's like there's no defending that man. <laughs> my uh, my favorite Sam Raimi story is that like I don't know if this is 100% true but apparently the studio was like messing with Darkman. Oh no. Kind of messing up his vision and he went into the editing room and he edited like the whole movie himself and then when the studio found out it was like so close to release they were just like all right we're, we we just have to release this the way you did it unfortunately even though we don't want to yeah he had so much like say at universal that's like i don't know if they feared him or what but like he he oversaw hard target and he he did as much as he could to tell the suits to stay away from john woo before the re-edit of hard of that movie uh did you know so here's I seem to be the only one who seems to know this fact, um, but I brought it up a few different times. Did you know that he was actually the one who suggested he was so impressed by what Robert Kurtzman contributed to Army of Darkness that he was the one who told, you know, when Lionsgate was looking for a, hey, we got this movie called Wishmaster. And he was the one who rang up Kurtzman. He was like, this guy should do your movie. <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's pretty cool, actually. That I like Wishmaster. 
Uh, I do too. I, in my mind, uh, because of the the Tamravi connection, I almost feel like it is part of the Maniac Cop people dead verse in some way, if not Nightmare on Elm Street, because you know, the influence is just so big. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, Ted Raimi is in that movie yeah, at the beginning. He's the one who accidentally yeah, yeah. He gets squashed by the the gin diamonds that break open. So yeah, um, and uh it's funny you brought up that uh and i need to rewatch phantasm too because apparently there are a lot of easter eggs uh that are tributes to raimi in that movie oh yeah uh, one of the cadavers is named sam raimi that's the one yeah in the funeral home yeah <laughs> and it is wild because it's like you're just like you look at reggie and company and you're just like yeah they totally should be fighting side by side in the apocalyptic world with ash <laughs> they are those kinds of guys um well so thanks a thousand this was so much fun just catching up with you oh Oh, yeah man totally (laughs) and now i'm pulling up as we speak uncle sam on tubi (laughs) i got no excuse i gotta watch this all the way through (laughs) it's it's a fun time it's a fun time thousand percent um where can we find you on the interwebs for those want to know uh i'm on letterbox i'm also a low budget filmmaker i make oh, mostly really? short films but right now Welcome to the club <laughs> i am trying to work make a feature currently so oh, oh. be sure to share the uh, crowdfunder I, I take a look <laughs> oh I, I appreciate that man yeah anytime Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up review show.